Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. But if you're somebody who's really looking to take all this, you know, maximize your cash flow to go scale as quickly as possible, self-management's definitely the way to go. Everything, you know, it's 2020, everything that a manager does, you can do directly from your smartphone. Right. So, and while it is easy work, it is still work. Like, is it gonna interrupt your dinner at some point? Yes, okay. but uh, you know, it's it's the opportunity cost. It's sure. hell of a lot better than going in an office every day. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Hey, how's it going? Hope you're all doing great. Thank you for joining me here on Just Start Real Estate. I think it's awesome. I get totally psyched up thinking about people tuning into this. So thank you for that. It really does make a difference. I love it. Guys, we've got a good one for you today. Before we jump into that, I just want to really quick ask you if you have not grabbed a copy of my book, Level Jumping, go to Amazon after this episode, of course. Go to Amazon and grab your copy. I would really appreciate it. I really worked hard on it. I think it's going to help you grow and scale your business and answer a lot of the questions that people have as they start growing and scaling. And I'm just excited for the book and I'm excited to get it in people's hands and really start uh, getting the word out about how to scale responsibly, how I did it. And I think it's going to be huge for you and your business. So go check that out if you get a minute. Okay, guys, today on the show, I have a real treat for you. Some Somebody who's doing things a little differently than we all do them, the you know landlords and house flippers and wholesalers, she has a slightly different model and it's short-term rentals. And I know a lot of you probably have heard of that, um, but she's just doing it at an exceptionally high level. She's really, really smart. She knows what she's talking about. And man, she dropped some gold bombs all over the place on this show, like sharing the tools, the strategy, the software all of the mistakes that people make, like we start talking to get into all of it, profit margins, what you can expect, how do you get something ready? Like she just completely puts it all out there for you guys. So I know you're going to enjoy this. And I had a good time talking to her. Uh, so Avery Carl bought her first rental property at the age of 26 on a $37,000 a year salary. Now, I don't mean to laugh at that, but man, she is crushing it right now. She's so much beyond that. And though the, the, uh, uh, strategic investing in short-term rental properties in a mature vacation rental market. She was a millionaire by age 31. She now owns a portfolio of over 24 properties and a CEO and founder of The Short-Term Shop, a real estate team that helps investors acquire short-term rental properties in the most recession-resistant markets and trains them on how the same methods that led her out of the corporate rat race rat race and into financial freedom can work for them as well. Guys, really sit down, get ready to take notes if you can. If you can't, we've got show notes, you know that. We've got links in the show notes, so you can go back and look at all that. But like I said, she dropped some gold bombs. She dropped some very specific tools and software that she uses. You're going to want to write that stuff down or go back and check it out afterwards. So without any further ado, I give you Avery Carl. 
Avery, I really appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for agreeing to do this. It's great to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So I'm excited. Uh, I love getting people on the show that have an, an angle of real estate or a section of real estate that they do that's not my, like I, I interview a lot of house flippers and wholesalers. That's a lot of the content that I provide. And I know that you have a different niche and I'm excited to explore this with everybody and talk about it. So before we do that, um, pretty standard fare. Let's make sure people kind of have a better sense of who you are and where you come from and how you got into this business. So maybe just rewind a little bit before real estate. Uh, if there is a before real estate in your adult life, tell us what you were doing and then why you got involved in real estate to begin with. Sure. So uh, before this, I was a marketing manager in the music business. I was making $37,000 a year waiting for one manager to decide I was worthy of a uh, promotion of t and a raise of $10,000 that would probably last me the next 10 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my uh, husband and I, at the time, we were living in Nashville and we thought, well, let's get a rental property. And we did not do any research, did not educate ourselves whatsoever. It ended up being a home run. It still is our best long-term that we have. Wow. But uh, our goal was, oh, well, maybe it will have appreciated enough by the time our future children go to college that we can sell it and not have to pay for college out of pocket. Yeah. Then we got that first rent check. We were like, oh, wow, this is something we need to do. We need to scale this. This needs to be our thing. And uh, so we had one enough money for one down payment on one property. And we thought, well, how can we maximize this one down payment to where it can make us the most money that we can go buy more faster? And so we came to the short-term rental Airbnb idea. Nashville is a terrible place to do that just because the, the rental regulations are very volatile. Okay. So we thought, okay, well, where can we go? Well, Smoky Mountain's a few hours away. Everybody rents properties overnight. There's no hotels. Let's look there. And uh, ended up buying one. Again, didn't know anybody who was doing that. Didn't have any kind of mentor. What, what year was this? What year was this, Avery? What are we talking? That was 2016. So not terribly far in the past. Okay, okay. Uh, so bought one. Ended up also being a home run. Rolled that into five within a year then rolled that five into 28 doors total, not all short terms. We, we like to keep the portfolio diverse. Okay. Uh, at 28 in about three years. So uh, our strategy became, and then what I teach my clients is uh, if you invest in the short terms first, you can take all that really heavy cash flow and then go diversify and right. get yourself, you know, the more tried and true long-term way to go. Right. So back in 2016, I, I don't even, I can't remember when Airbnb like even started, how long it's been around, but 2016, I don't feel like that was a strategy that was talked about a lot creating the short-term rental business model. Now I hear people talk about it more, but um, what made you, how did you even think of doing, like what was your, so like some people have them, but it's like they have one or something. Like how did you get to that point where you're like, we're gonna like systemize this and create a lot more of these? Yeah, so it's been around, I think since 2000. I mean, I've had friends that were doing it like in 2009, 2010. Okay. It, I, so I think we were a little bit on the, on the front end of, we weren't early adopters, I don't think, but almost. And uh, so we found a market where it works to scale them. So we just decided to do that and put the systems in place. And I created my company, the short-term shop, which is a real estate team, because the agents that I had to work with when I didn't have my license, didn't know how to answer any questions about owning or running a short-term rental, what anything could make, anything like that. So I had to become that agent. And then yeah. I grew that into, 
you know, three, three different markets worth of real estate teams of being that agent who knows how to do this and teaching my clients how to do it, getting them all the tools and vendors and automations that they need to be able to go scale their portfolio and just ready to rock, go make the money. But really, uh, there's, there's tons of, tons of data, tons of lists online for people to just go and say, hey, what's the best place to invest in short-term rentals? And you'll find that at the top of all of those lists, or sometimes everything that's on those lists, is a regional drivable vacation rental market. Not okay. metro markets, not fly-to markets like Hawaii or Disney, but the regional drivable ones. Uh, those tend to be, especially just coming out of COVID, uh, the most resilient because, you know, whether a recession is driven by the economic factors that it was driven by in 2008 or you know a pandemic like we were dealing with recently or are dealing with still if people don't have the money to go you know to fly to Aspen or fly to Hawaii they can still drive to the panhandle of Florida or drive to the Smoky right. Mountains or wherever they live there's going to be a drivable vacation market and same thing with covid people don't want to get don't want to go to big metro markets they don't want to get on a plane so we're actually seeing a big boom in our rentals right now because people are so cooped up ready to get out of their houses, yeah. but they don't want to go on a plane. So they just yeah. drive to our places. We're getting like higher prices per night and Christmas right now. Wow. I was going to ask you about how COVID affected it, but you just answered that. So did you get your real estate license specifically to find short-term rental opportunities and have a little bit of the, the tools that you needed? Or did you just want to have your realtor's license anyway? And this is just a niche that you found. Well, truth be told, I got it because my husband is a terrible client and I felt sorry for the agents that we worked with for having to deal with him. <laughs> but, uh, <That's> <laughs> yeah, so, but as time went on, you know, I had friends who were like, you're making how much with this cabin? Teach me how to do that. And then that scaled into an actual business with clients who I don't know. Got you. Got you. Okay. So I'm curious because you, you mentioned the metro markets are maybe not as hot right now because of COVID. And you're seeing a boom, but are there in general, taking COVID out of it, are there areas of the country? Are there like things overall that people should be looking for without getting deep in the weeds? Like, for example, I'm in Michigan. Okay. My guess is that the Metro Detroit area is not a good area for Airbnb. Now, I, I could be wrong. There's conferences and things, and there's all the automotive companies and the sporting. Maybe there is. Maybe people do fly in for things because it's a big business area. Um, but I just assume that it's like Florida, California, like the really nice kind of vacation areas that people really thrive. Am I right about that or am I wrong? You're you're right about that in, in some senses. So... I would never personally recommend a metro market of any kind, even though they're always gonna have the conferences and the work travelers and things like that. When people are trying to, you know, if you're not just gonna go on Google and look for a list, uh, when people are trying to think, okay, where should this be? Wherever you are in the country, think of a place that maybe you went on vacation when you were a kid with your parents where you rented a house and not a hotel. Yeah. So for you, I would imagine some, you know, there's some vacation towns on the Great Lakes, maybe, yeah. stuff like that. Totally. Um, those are going to be the markets that are going to be the most friendly towards short-term rentals, which the main reason that I don't recommend Metro markets is because of the clashes with regulations. And there is a big hotel presence in Metro markets. So there's a lot of pushback that's coming from quote neighbors, AKA the hotel lobby yeah. trying to get rid of short-term rentals. Whereas in the vacation markets where it's been the norm for people to rent single family properties overnight uh, for decades and decades, those counties and cities will have figured out how to monetize that decades ago so you don't have those clashes and regulations that you have to deal with right that makes sense that makes total sense you you mentioned that you have long-term and short-term rentals for diversity reasons so i get that 
Are you ever tempted to just scrap the long term because the the short term are probably I assume more profitable than the long term? Is that is that something or is it like there's an absolute plan here we're going to definitely keep long term for you know various reasons. What what would be the reasons if you start doing the short term and it's like wow, is it a lot of money coming in from these? Why even bother with the long terms? Yeah, that's a great question. So the the goal for us was never to just have an empire of short-term rentals. That is the goal for some people and there's nothing wrong with that goal. We keep try to keep it to one quarter to one third of our portfolio short-term because that's like a turbocharge income. Mm-hmm. And then the rest long-term because that's, you know, at the end of the day, the short-term thing is kind of a new school thing. Uh, it is a little more volatile, a little more dependent on, you know, tourism and economic factors, whereas the yeah. long terms, people are always going to need a $500 place to live. Our long terms are actually not quite Section 8, just like a hair above. Okay. People are always going to need a $500 a month place to rent. Yeah. So we're really happy with that. It's, you know, they're both a little bit of work. Uh, the short terms tend to stay in better shape than our long terms do because you have professional cleaners in there two and three times a week. Whereas our long-term tenants are doing God knows what in there for their entire lease. And who knows if they've cleaned it the entire time they live there, but you know, you don't, there's not check-ins and turnovers. So you're not dealing with that as much. So they both definitely have their place in yeah. an investment portfolio. For sure. Okay. So in researching you and I, I kind of looking at, at some, some things to ask here, I know I found this, um, the Airbnb and rental, uh, vacation rental investing is different. Is that, is that true or did I get that right? Okay, so yeah. what is the difference? I thought those were the synonymous basically. So yeah, it, it is a little different. So the, I would call vacation rental investing is kind of what we've been talking about. Okay. Sticking to the vacation rental markets. Airbnb investing could be like, oh, I'm gonna buy this house down the street for me in Kansas City and turn it into an Airbnb. Is there something, is there, is that work? I mean, just to be in a, in a subdivision in some random town to buy a house and make an Airbnb, does anybody, is that work? You'll hear a lot of anecdotal information about, you know, people who have are making this much or that much. But as far as like documentable long term success and again, you're hit with the the regulation sometimes. So, uh, again, that's why I stick to the vacation rental, because there's like, for example, the one of the markets that I'm in, the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee, there's documentable tourism data from not only COVID, but, you know, back to all the way to. I think the I think the 40s they have it from the National Park Tourism data so you can see exactly what's happened to the tourism in every single recession whereas if you go in a metro market you know they haven't been measuring that necessarily yeah. for this whole time. Right. Do, is it important and I noticed uh, or I heard when you mentioned uh, or before we hopped on here uh, live uh, or recorded what the areas that you kind of represent or that you have these in um, one of them for sure I know is near like a like a theme park like Dollywood, right? The Pigeon Forge mm-hmm. you mentioned. Is it important to look for those kind of things? Like you mentioned in Michigan, like on the Great Lakes, there's there's lake towns that are like kind of vacation rentally uh, places. Is it best to look for these like the big like the Disneylands or I know they have a lot of hotels around there, but like the Pigeon Forge and some of these other that have attractions already there that people are drawn to or just look for water? I mean, w- what kind of things do you look for? Yeah, those tend to be the best. So, uh, you know, national park markets. So the big draw in Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. So there is Dollywood, but the big draw is the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. It gets 13 million visitors a year. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, wow. and they're all staying in uh, short-term rentals. They are not staying in hotels. There's very little hotel presence. Okay. Uh, the other two markets where I have real estate offices and also own investments are the Destin, Florida, Panama City Beach, Florida area, which again, uh, I think they get more like eight to 10 million a year. Okay. Everybody rents beach houses and condos, not hotels. Same thing with Gulf Shores, Alabama. Uh, so you want to there, you don't want to just go buy anything because there's a lake or a river right there or a mountain. Yeah. You don't want to do a little more research than that, but those are the kind of things that you start with. Okay. And then I think one of the things that I would imagine, and just what I'm thinking my, to myself intuitively, like why not do this, right? This is incredible. What would be the things that would make me nervous? And one of them would be because it's short-term rentals, right? Dealing with people every couple of days with questions and problems and this and that. Like, how do you, with all your your um, short-term rentals, how do you manage that like activity so you're not just running around crazy all the time? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there are a lot of platforms that have arisen out of short-term rental investing called channel managers that automate a lot of that stuff for you. So you always wanna make sure you have as much information as you can in your actual Airbnb or VRBO listing that you know that keeps people from asking a bunch of questions. And then you have templates that are like canned responses when people send you a message that says, hey, you know, I wanna book your place it'll send them something, you know, you just want to make sure that every template you have has as much information as possible. So our check-in one that they get two days before they check in automatically without us having to do anything tells them, you know, all the good restaurants nearby, their door code directions to the cabin, mm. where everything is, anything, any question they could possibly think of to ask is on these templates. So really, unless they have something really, really specific that they need to ask, we're not ever having to just look look at our phones and respond to anything. Do you do those? I know they're automated, so it's obviously a lot easier, but are you the ones pushing the buttons, like you and your husband, or do you have someone who does that for you now? Uh, we push the buttons still. Okay, okay. Uh, I mean, the automated stuff, it's just it knows when it's two days before they check yeah. in. So it automatically sends it, but okay. we do get a notification that we got a message so we can see, is this something I need to respond to or is the auto responder taking care of it? Okay. How high tech do you get with that stuff? In other words, is there like Wi-Fi locks and codes that, that dynamically change with new people and like mm -hmm. so surveillance and all that? I mean, do you do that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we use a Wi-Fi lock. Uh, we use, we don't use the Nest thermostat just because it's, really, really difficult to do with a bunch of short-term rentals, but there's a Honeywell version of it that we use. So we have okay. control of that. Um, most people do like a ring camera out on the outside just to make sure, you know, every they're not sneaking people in, not sneaking yeah. animals in, things like that. Uh, and that's really it. Uh, guests get a door code and then, you know, your cleaner shows up pretty much the second they leave and she'll know or he'll know if there's anything weird going on, if anything's broken, we've never had anybody trash anything. We've had people really? like leave it messier than our cleaner would have liked, but nobody's ever trashed the cabin or any of our properties. Do you have, do you avoid things like hot tubs and kind of the things that could potentially get out of control or do you have some of those amenities in some of your places? In the Smokies, all the properties have hot tubs. So we've oh, got yeah. five hot tubs. Uh, and then at our place in Destin, we have a private pool in the backyard. And, really? Uh, wow, that yeah, would scare the life out of me to have that. Right there. No problem. <laughs> yeah, so. Especially post-COVID, people are really happy to have that and not have to share a community pool. Yeah. Because people are still a little worried about stuff. But I mean, it costs about 150 bucks a month to maintain a little extra insurance, not too much. And people love it. It okay. makes so much more money. It makes whatever perceived risk there may or may not be 
so worth it. Nice. The, the cleaners, you mentioned the cleaners. And I know this is one thing because I have like completely at a very surface level investigated this kind of investing. I haven't pulled the trigger, but one of the things that I have heard in the past, it's like keeps coming up is like, this is sort of like the real problem with doing this. And I want to hear what you have to say about it is the cleaners. Maintaining a cleaning crew, having a crew that does a good job, like all of that. Like if you only have one or maybe two, like you don't have the economy of scale to have them be like at your beck and call because you have 10 of these things in one area where they're constantly working. Is that an issue for you or how do you find and maintain a cleaning crew? It, cleaning crew is definitely one of the most difficult parts about about doing this. And for my clients and my markets, we get them their cleaners. We get them everybody that they need really? to be able to do this. So they don't have to go find these people. But, uh, and that's another thing about the places that have been vacation rental markets for a long time. A lot of those places will have had big property, local property management companies for decades. So yeah. to where cleaning is kind of a big business. And I've never seen a cleaner not work out because they're not doing a good job. It's really more of a personality thing. Okay. Uh, you definitely want to treat your cleaners like gold because they are your eyes and ears yeah. and um, you don't want to micromanage them. They're all going to do roughly the same job, you know, you know, make sure they're doing a good job, but you know, at least in the markets that I'm in asking them to take pictures of everything after they're done, just slows them down. Uh, you know, asking them to fill out a checklist every time just slows them down, you know, just let them, let them do their job, you know, make sure that, that you're in charge, but don't, don't micromanage. And generally that, that solves a lot of problems is just yeah. not micromanaging. That's huge. And you, you kind of mentioned something quickly, but I want to, I want to kind of underscore it because it's, it's really huge. If that's one of the biggest problems that people have, and you said with your clients, people that you work with, that you help, you find the cleaners for them. Like to me, I hear that and I go, oh, thank God. Like this makes it, I feel better about it now because I know that's like, one of the big things that people talk about and they're worried about and you handle that like that's that's a humongous service in my opinion that that's awesome now as far as like supplies do the cleaners get those who who supplies something that's so that's virtual for you how do you get those things there it just depends on the setup that you have with your cleaners. Some of them will do it themselves. They'll, you know, they'll stock everything and you don't ever have to think about it and that you just set up an extra charge with them or mm -hmm you can have them let you know when things are getting low and you can Amazon it to them. So to the cleaner's house so that you, you know, you have control over exactly what's going in there. That's the way yeah. I do it. Okay. Cause I want to have control over what's going in. They just tell me when I need to send it to them and we send it. Okay. And then they just bring it there. Awesome. Wow. That's super cool. That's a cool, that's a cool model. All right, guys, sorry for the interruption, but I just want to really quick remind you that Flip Hacking Live this year is on October 15th, 16th, and 17th. It's going to be packed full of amazing real estate investors just dishing, telling you everything that they're doing in their market to be successful, to be profitable, to scale, just all of their secrets and, and tactics and tricks that they're doing to be successful in their market. And because this is a virtual event, now we're going to bring this to you live in your home. You don't have to travel. All of the worries about traveling and COVID and are people going to be wearing masks? Are they going to try to shake my hand? Like, How far are we going to sit apart? All of those fears, if you had them, are gone because we're going to bring it right to your house. So the fact that it's a virtual event, in my opinion, probably means we're going to be able to make this even better. I'm going to be speaking at the event. It's going to be amazing. We're going to send out swag boxes. You're going to get free stuff. It's just going to be awesome. And right now, the tickets are so cheap. They're only $2.97. That price is going to go up. And that's exactly why I'm interrupting this right now to tell you the price is going up soon. Go grab your tickets now. You can go to www.best.com 
realestateevent.com. That's a new URL. It's a little easier to remember, and I thought that would be helpful. So go to bestrealestateevent.com. If you go and get your tickets before the end of August, send me proof that you bought them before the end of August. I will enter you in a drawing for me to pay for your ticket. So this thing could even be free. It's a no-brainer, guys. The cost of the ticket is insanely low. It's not going to stay this low. Go grab it now or you will regret it because this is going to be an event like no other. So go grab your ticket. Go to bestrealestateevent.com and I hope to see you there. All right, let's get back to the interview. Can we talk a little bit about like I, I I know I know how people think like we start talking about this and we're saying hey you can make a lot of money and they're going tell me how much I can make how <laughs> does this work what do the finances typically look like in the markets that you work in what what do you buy a house for what does it typically take to make it ready to go what's the price to just get all the the stuff in place right and then start making money like what is it that that price structure tend to look like Sure. So depending on the size property you want to buy, uh, that'll determine the price, obviously. I mean, the more more people you can sleep, the more money you're going to make. And, and the higher the cash on cash return is between four bedrooms and up really do have the highest return on investment. Uh, but the one through threes are going to do exactly what you need them to do, too. But you can get any, anything from a two bedroom for two fifty. That'll that'll gross you roughly forty five thousand a year. We can get into net in a minute all the way up to like a, a six bedroom that'll gross you 200 a year. And uh, depending on whether you're using a property manager, which most of them are gonna charge 20 to 40% and what kind of financing you use, it is doable if you do it right. I don't want anybody to call me and say, I didn't I didn't hit these numbers. Okay. Uh, They're <laughs> rough guys, they're rough, don't, don't call her. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, if in the markets that I'm in, in my experience, in my client's experience, if you self-manage, you can reasonably hit 40 to 45% of your gross with your, you'll net that after your mortgage and everything. So that okay. is definitely not a scientific uh, investment calculation. It's just my rough experience. Yep. And you can get into these with a 10% down vacation home loan. So you don't have to save up the full 20% like you would on a regular investment property, which is pretty cool. That's huge. Does it, is it like, uh, is there only a certain amount that they'll do that for? Is there like a, like just one, you can have one vacation that you put down 10% or will, is it, can you do that on 20 properties? You can do one per market. So okay. you can do, oh, okay. yeah. Okay. So you can do like one in Tennessee, one in Florida. There's a few stipulations. Uh, you can't put a contract on the property that gives control of it to someone else, like a lease or property management okay. company, oh, okay. but you can rent it out. It says specifically in the Fannie Mae guidelines that you can rent your vacation home on Airbnb and VRBO. Okay. That that's huge actually. So you mentioned self-managing and, and is that, that's what you do, right? Cause you're that's hitting the buttons yeah. to tell people. So obviously you're doing it. You have enough in your portfolio that you could certainly afford to hire someone to do that or whatever, but it sounds like it must not be that big of a deal cause you're still doing it. Right. So is that what you recommend to people to self-manage? Absolutely. So there's definitely a time and a place for property managers, but if you're somebody who's really looking to take all this, you know, maximize your cash flow to go scale as quickly as possible, self-management's definitely the way to go. Everything, you know, it's 2020, everything that a manager does, you can do directly from your smartphone. Right. So, and while it is easy work, it is still work. Like, is it going to interrupt your dinner at some point? Yes. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the opportunity cost. It's sure. hell of a lot better than going in office every day. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about it. So, okay. You mentioned 
four rooms versus six rooms, so forth. Is it the rooms or the beds? Like, what if I have a three-bedroom that they're huge rooms and they fit two beds each? Is that considered six people can sleep? So, bedrooms are a bigger driver of income than just number of beds. Number of beds does increase the income, but at the end of the day, you know, if you've got 12 adults, they don't all want to be sleeping in the same room together, like hearing each other breathe at night. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a a three bedroom that sleeps 20 people is going to make less than a five bedroom that sleeps 20 people comfortably. Okay. So even though you might have six bedrooms, you're putting more than one bed per room typically? Uh, It just depends. So most people... I, I recommend only putting one bed per room and buying more rooms. And then, uh, you know, in hangout areas and stuff, you know, having maybe a set of bunk beds in a game room, maybe some sleeper sofas in living rooms, but I don't recommend just stacking a bunch of beds on top of yeah. each other. Yeah. A lot of people do recommend that and would tell me that I'm leaving money on the table by not doing that. But at the end of the day, if your guests aren't comfortable the whole time they're staying, they're going to be a lot more sensitive to anything else that might not be perfect. And it's going to affect your review. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you ever add rooms like you find a four bedroom, but there could easily be a fifth because they have some weird den that doesn't make sense and you just turn it into a bedroom. Does that make sense ever? I would do that if it hasn't happened for me personally that I bought a deal that way, but I would totally do it. Okay. Are you looking for houses, by the way, that are ready to roll? Or are you looking for houses that are like, you can buy them at a deep discount, go in and do an extensive renovation or some renovation to it? So for this, for most people, I would recommend just buying something turnkey. In the markets that I'm in, pretty much everything's going to come furnished anyway. So you're not having to go to that huge upfront expense. I don't recommend trying to renovate a what is going to be a short-term rental until you're pretty used to it. Like I, I did one earlier this year and it's doing awesome, but I don't recommend it for beginners. Yeah, that makes sense. So right off the, so you you said something about already furnished. You said in these markets that you work in, you typically Mm -hmm. buy houses that are furnished. Yeah, they mostly all come furnished because, uh, yeah, because most of these things in at least the way that I've chosen the markets that I want to work in, they're very, very, very heavily, heavily vacation homed markets. So it was a vacation home and they're selling it as a vacation home and it comes with all the furniture for the most part. There's every now and then you'll run across some that don't come furnished, but uh, for the most part they do. And then you obviously have to furnish the ones that are not. So other people are trying this, right? Some people are going out and doing it on their own and and probably making a lot of mistakes. Like anything you try to do on your own (laughs) requires some skill. Um, What are some of the mistakes that you know you see people make over and over again? Some of the like rookie big mistakes that people should know about? There's there's a couple. Uh, As far as on the buying side, uh, with these, like we just talked about, there's there's not a ton of opportunity to even buy deeply discounted ones that need some work. But um, when you're analyzing these, what makes a good deal is not the difference between what the asking price is and what you can get it for. What makes a good deal is what price you can get it for versus what you can make. If that price has to be full price because there's multiple offers, just make sure your numbers work at that. So I've had people lose out on really good deals because the seller wouldn't come down another $3,000, but it wouldn't have mattered in the long run. Right. Um, And then on the management side, uh, you know, you do, I do recommend having, Uh, ring cameras or something just so you can keep an eye on your property but you have to also understand that people are on vacation they're not necessarily going to be on their best behavior but that doesn't mean that they're trashing your place so you know if you notice if somebody's smoking weed on your front porch but you wouldn't have known that if unless you were staring at your cameras there is no reason to 
call them out and get, you know, in this whole altercation. I've had several clients do that and they're like, well, they were breaking the rules. Well, they're on vacation, you know, give them a little space. You made them feel like they're being spied on. And, you know, just if, if it's not something that damaged the property or that you would not have ever known they did, had you not been staring at them, then (laughs) you're okay. So just don't get obsessed with the cameras. I know that sounds like silly, but that's a big one that people get wrapped up in is watching their cameras too hard. So I'm hearing you say typically like there's nothing wrong with paying full price. You know, you're not looking for some deep discount or some trashed house that you have to renovate. And a lot of them come furnished. Is it safe to say that there's very little upfront cost other than the cost of the house to, to start something like this in the markets that you're talking about? Like I'm paying full price. It's already furnished. Like wh- where's the upfront cost aside from the purchase of the house? Is there anything much? Uh, there's not much. I mean, you've, you've got to buy your your bulk paper towels and things like that, yeah. but there's nothing major and you don't have to pay full price. But in some of the markets that I'm in, you can get into multiple offer situations on yeah. desirable properties. So I'm not saying you have to just walk in and offer full price on everything, but there are times that you will need to. So, uh, you know, just don't be afraid to do that as long as the numbers work. Make sure they work. How long in your, in the clients that you work with, what is like kind of a ballpark number to get up and running? I find a house and I make an offer and we close. Like how long does it take me to get making money? Uh, in the ones that I'm at, you can, you'll start making money pretty immediately because they're so heavily trafficked with tourists. But uh, I mean, I would give yourself three months if you're in a new market that you're not necessarily sure about. Uh, but you okay. should be able to start making money relatively quickly. You will have to, when you're brand new, when your listing's brand new, you're going to have to discount it a little bit and probably just put something in your headline that says new owner special. So that way everybody knows why you don't have any reviews and why it's oh. so cheap if the house is cute. Yeah. So that way, yeah, it answers any questions that people have about why yeah. is this, you know, is this a scam or something? That's a, that's a great tip. That's a really good point, actually, because that would be the thing, right? You see somebody with no reviews, like, eh. But if they tell you right up front, that's super helpful. When you're evaluating a property, what do you, I know for like long-term rentals, because I have those, but, um, and everyone's a little different, but how do you, uh, what do you assume for vacancies in a short-term rental? Like how, Uh, full or how often is it going to be full do you assume when you're doing your numbers? So a really good easy number to use across the board that's conservative and pretty versatile is 67% occupancy. Okay. However, uh, if you buy a subscription to AirDNA, which is a data service that measures occupancy and income on short-term rentals in pretty much every market, you can get a much better idea. Like one of my markets it's like 85% year round. And then another one, it's 100% in the summer in the beach one, and then it kind of tapers off in the wintertime on each side of that. So uh, there's there's plenty of data options for where you can check, but if you're just trying to do some back of the napkin numbers really quick, I would use 67. What was that software that you just mentioned that you could check vacancies? So AirDNA. Oh, okay, I have actually heard of that, DNA, that's right. Okay, I heard of that. Um, so I, that my next question was gonna be about software, but is that the only software that people would ever utilize and for doing running a business like this? Or is there other like pretty known stuff out there that we need to be aware of? There are some other data companies, but AirDNA is by far the most cost effective. And it's, I mean, none of them are gospel. So yeah. it's not like this is what it is and nothing else. Yeah. It's pretty close. It's pretty in line okay. with what I'm seeing my properties do. There's another one called MashVisor that's decent. I like AirDNA a little bit better. Uh, there's another one called Key Data that's awesome, but it's significantly more expensive. Okay. 
that, but that, there's there's plenty of data tools out there. What, as far as like not necessarily evaluation stuff, but things that you just use to run your business, is there other software or tools that you don't have to have, but like this is how I run my business and it makes it a little easier for me. Is there other things? Yeah, yeah. So the channel managers, which are the the things that send the automated messages, they also help consolidate. You know, if you're on three or four different booking platforms, it consolidates it into one dashboard oh, that you can look at. Awesome. Uh, your porter is the one that we use. Uh, another good one is IGMS. Okay, IGMS. Got it. Uh, there are some good apps to automate your cleaners calendars. One of them is Turnover BNB. Uh, we just use a good old Google Calendar for our cleaner that yeah. it'll sync up with your all your platforms. Yep. Uh, but Turnover BNB is an Airbnb specific one. Okay. Uh, but really, that's all you need. There's some pricing automation tools that are pretty good. Beyond Pricing is a good one. Price Labs is a good one. I've never tested out Wheelhouse, but that's another one that a lot of people use. Okay. Okay. Cool. You mentioned other platforms, so I think of this kind of thing. I think Airbnb. Are there mm -hmm. like a plethora of other places that you should be listing multiple, you know, like your property on multiple platforms or is there just like Airbnb and that's it? There's probably around 10. Okay. I only use Airbnb and VRBO. Those are the two major ones or VRBO is also home away. They merged a while back, but we stay so booked on those two. We don't complicate our lives with like booking.com and wow. flipkey and hotels.com. That's awesome. But um, yeah, Airbnb and VRBO is all you need to get started. Okay. Awesome. Cool. This is, I mean, it's just like, it's, you know, my problem is I, I got to like stop looking at every like thing that makes me excited, but this is something that does make me excited. <laughs> it sort of never leaves my head that I really need to take the time to, to really do this. And the cool thing is in the real estate investing world, the world that I typically run in, it's like, landlords, um, house flippers and wholesalers. And all of us are looking for like that super low cost. Like we're looking for these super deals, right? All the time. But this is a world where you can go and theoretically pay asking price off of the MLS and be up and running fast and making money at a, with a much higher ROI than maybe other rental, long-term rental opportunities. And do you recommend, I, I think I know the answer to this. It's a little bit loaded question, I guess, but <laughs> do you recommend that someone work with somebody to help them when they're starting off in something like this? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we, we do the burr thing and the long-term rental thing. So yep. I definitely understand the work that's involved in trying to find good deals for that. Yeah. But with these, it's things, there's so many more moving parts than a long-term rental that you really do want to work with somebody who at the very least owns some of their own and uh, no, they don't necessarily have to self-manage them. That's kind of a rarity. It's it's actually honestly a rarity to find a realtor that owns anything anywhere, period. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, if you can find somebody that owns and manages their own, that's gonna be one of the biggest factors to your success is because they'll already know how to do everything and answer your questions. Yeah, that's huge. So why don't we, that's a good segue. And I, man, I really appreciate how you've been very transparent and can you, if you don't mind, uh, or I, I know you don't mind, but let's talk about your service. Let's, what do you got? What do you do for people? What markets do you work in? Like what, what is it that you do and, and how do people get a hold of you? Sure. So uh, I'm a real estate agent. I have a real estate team. We're in three markets. So we have offices in the Tennessee, Great Smoky Mountain, Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg area, the Panama City Beach, Destin 30A area in Florida, and then the Gulf Shores and Orange Beach, Alabama market. And uh, so what we do is we help you make sure you 
are buying a property that is going to be a good short-term rental because not everything that's sitting out there is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's some, like in the Smokies, you wanna buy a cabin and there's a lot of drywall brick ranch houses that are significantly cheaper that you would think, oh, well, this is cheaper. It'll make this much. It's got this many bedrooms, but that's not what tourists wanna rent. Yeah. Uh, so you need somebody that can tell you that. So we make sure that you're, we'll, we'll source you the best, whether it's on market or off market. Off markets are getting a little more difficult with the new clear cooperation laws, but we still get them all the time. And uh, make sure you're getting the best for your market, most profitable. And then once we get you, you know, we do the regular real estate agent stuff. And then we also have someone in our office who all they do all day is teach you how to run your Airbnb, teach you how to set up all the automation tools, Ah, gets you set up with the cleaners and handymen. And then if you ever get in a situation with a guest where you're like, I don't know what to do, this is weird. You can just text us and that's all complimentary free just if you use us as your buyer's agents in any of those markets. That's huge. And like we talked about earlier, just like the handyman you mentioned just now, I didn't really think about and the cleaners and just the automation. Like I know people hear this and go, I love the idea of the money. I love the idea how fast it is. I've got the money, but I don't know, the automation, the cleaners, like this sounds like a lot to deal with, but you make it easy by kind of teaching them and help and being support for that as long as they're using you as the realtor. So that's very, very cool. Um, If people want to reach out, how can they do that? My website, theshorttermshop.com. My uh, email address is right on there, info at theshorttermshop.com. Pretty active on Instagram. obviously all my other contact info is on the website as well. Okay, cool. And we will put that in the show notes. So if you're driving right now, you're at the gym or something, don't worry about it. Just go to Just Start Real Estate and and check it out. We'll have all of the links there um, to all the software that she mentioned to her, obviously, so that you can get in touch if you would like to talk to her more about investing in short-term rentals. Avery, is there anything else that I I missed or anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I think you pretty much got everything. Okay, awesome. Well, listen, I really appreciate you doing this. You were a fun guest. You, were, I, I love it when people come on, and I can tell sometimes they're like cagey. Their whole, you just let it all go. Like you answered everything, and I know you have a service that you actually want people to come and use you for that. Um, but I, I appreciate your transparency and helping, and just throwing out all these tools like crazy that people can check out. So thanks for that. I appreciate it, and uh, appreciate your time. This was this was a lot of fun for me. Awesome. It was fun for me too. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again. And uh, we will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Avery was awesome. She was super duper transparent and very forthcoming. I mean, she's really knows what she's talking about in this space. And I love having people on that are not only really, really good at what they do, but they just give and give. And she's just giving us all the tools and all the strategies and everything she does to to be really, really good at what she does, the short-term rental game, the vacation rental game, and help us get started in that arena. And if you really want to get started, you know, with very little work and and just kind of hit the ground running, reach out to Avery and talk to her. Talk to her about her markets and what she's able to provide. Uh, It's not always best to do in your hometown, obviously, as you heard. So uh, reach out to her and see what what comes of it, because I think she's somebody who knows what she's talking about. And... uh, I think she shared just tons of great information. So that was awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed that. A little something off of the house flipping, wholesaling landlord thing that we normally do. And I think it's important for us to see and hear kind of all very well-rounded in our industry, what people are up to and how they're making money because you know different things appeal to different people. So hopefully this appealed to you and you enjoyed it. Uh, if you did enjoy it, I don't usually say this at the end of a show, but give me a rating review. Give me some love. I would appreciate that. Otherwise, guys, go out there and make today the best day. Go out there and just start.